0: You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. It's so good to be here with you. Uh, I, uh, this is... I think the third time I've stayed in West Virginia, the first time was very memorable. Um, We had a travel trailer of five kids, and we'd we'd haul them for like five summers all over the eastern part of the United States, all the way out to Mount Rushmore, down to Birmingham, Alabama. But one night we camped not far from here, I think over near Charleston, and uh, we had our dog with us. And you may not know what a a uh, walker hound is, but uh, it's a West Virginia bred dog. And we had a walker hound. I didn't have it because I was a hunter. I just had it because someone in our church, a young lady had it and she couldn't keep him. So we adopted Dory and uh, we were staying at this campground and we'd been all over with Dory and nobody ever came up and said, what a fine walker hound that was until we got to West Virginia. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, I, last week I was preaching in a little village church in the mountains of Guatemala and I had a translator, and I didn't think I'd need one today, um, but when Will picked me up yesterday at the airport, he gets in the car and he says, how's your Brad? And I'm going, Brad? What's Brad? Like, And so I lean in a little further. I said, excuse me? He said, how's your Brad? I, I, it took me a while, and I, I, I asked the Lord for the gift of interpretation. I realized he's asking, how's my bride? Sharon's doing fine, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So if you have a device or a Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. As we think about the big thing, theme is live well to die well, and we'll kind of unpack that again. Uh, New Heights Church, 2012 to 2022, celebrating 10 years of serious uh, work but I want us to kind of lean into, as you, as you rightfully celebrate and remember Giovanni's and Pizza Hut and all the things, you know, baptisms in a pickup truck and all that stuff. Um, evidently, Will didn't want to do that anymore, so he got that tiny little thing. Um, <laughs> but think, let's think, let's contemplate a little bit ahead, like 50 years from now, like Will it be 85? What will New Heights trajectory be? And health be? And here's the big question as we think about um, living well to die well. Here's, here's the big thought. Question. What kind of people cause the church to flourish after they're gone? What kind of people cause the church to flourish after they are gone? Next summer, Uh, 2023. The first church I pastored was in a little village in in New Hampshire. Shout out to New Hampshire again. (laughs) Yep. Um, uh, It will be celebrating next year its 200th birthday. What What kind of people cause the church to flourish after they're gone? This is talking about a long view. What will be the legacy you leave at New Heights 100 years from now? I don't want to be morbid. I don't want us to dwell on death, but death is still pretty successful. I think it has about 100% success rate. Um, and, and as we contemplate this, understand that Paul is writing this, realizing he is going to be executed very soon. So he's actually thinking these thoughts. What will the church be like after I'm gone? And even as he's dwelling on that, he, he finds rest in the gospel earlier in this In this letter to Timothy, he writes, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And he ends that part in 2 Timothy 2. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. And actually to die, you're more alive than you are right now. Paul was had seen too many lives go off the rail, too many Christians abandon the faith. He he actually documents a number of them in this letter. But I want to ask you this morning as we look at this text, what kind of people cause the church to flourish after they are gone? And we're going to see three things from the text. The kind of people that cause the church to flourish after they are gone are people who follow known heroes, people who stay the course, and people who work out the word. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter three. I'm gonna start by reading verses 13, uh, I'm sorry, 10 through 13, as we think about what does it look like for people who who, uh, follow known heroes. So Paul says, you, Timothy, however, know all about my teaching. So Paul's pointing to himself, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness or endurance my persecution suffering what kind of things happened to me in antioch iconium and lystra the persecutions i endured yet the lord rescued me out of them all in fact everyone who wants to live godly a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted while evil, evil doer, doers and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived Paul lists nine things about his life that he urged Timothy to remember. And Paul wasn't an arrogant man propping himself to be a hero, but to Timothy he certainly was. And as we think through those things, he said, remember my teaching. And obviously, the reason New Heights can celebrate today with integrity 10 years of God's faithfulness is not because you got a great building to meet in or you got a slick pastor. It's because it has been a church that is focused on the word of God. And Paul is reminding Timothy, remember my teachings, remember my way of life, my habits, my prayer life, my fasting, my generosity, my lack of complaint. My, and so Paul's saying, look at my teachings, my habits, my, my purpose, my life purpose. Do you have a life purpose? Like you think about that, like, you are a one of a kind. God made you unique, knit you together in your mother's womb. There's no one else like you. You were created for unique special works that nobody, none of the pastors at New Heights can do, only you can do. Have you thought about your life purpose? As I was going through my sort of midlife crisis in my early 40s, I was meeting with a pastoral mentor and a counselor, and I decided to write a life purpose, which is to live an intensely Godward life, inspiring others to lasting devotion. And I came up with seven goals, stick with Jesus, stick with Sharon, raise five kids to stick with Jesus, lead a church in central New Hampshire that uh, does damage to the kingdom of darkness, contribute to the greater cause, have fun, and die while still in the game. Having a purpose not just helps you, but helps others see that you are are not just living as sort of meandering along, but you, you are intentional. Paul says, remember my faith, remember my patience, remember my love, remember my endurance, remember my persecution, remember my suffering. Suffering is part of gospel living. And let me just say this, American Christians, we have been believing a lie that somehow I can come to church, check in, worship Jesus, check the box, go home and live life like I'm not a Christian. That is not following Jesus. God has called you to service and sacrifice, generosity and graciousness. He's called you to pray for your neighbors and your workmates and your family members who are lost, your prodigal children. He's called you to a life of suffering. What kind of people caused the church to flourish after they are gone? Well, people who follow known heroes. For me, some of my heroes, my first church... Um, Will Cressy was born in 1910. He came to Christ in that very church I was pastoring. Um, A church was planted in uh, 1823, and no, I was not the founding pastor. (laughs) Um, But Will uh, Will Cressy came to Christ in that church in 1929, grew up in that church, became faithful, became a deacon, became an elder, just a faithful man of God, inspired me. He was, a, he was a, uh, the sexton at the local Episcopal church. That's a fancy word for the janitor. He was also a garbage collector, um, just an just a old Yankee, and uh, used to host a men's prayer meeting at his, his house every Friday morning. One Friday morning in October of 1996, get a call from a guy who showed up early. He says, get here, Will is dead. Will had been shaving, getting ready, and had a massive heart attack, just tipped over in the tub and went to be with Jesus. Will had outlasted two wives. He was generous to the church. He'd watched the church go through all sorts of transitions. He was a faithful man, one of my heroes. I wept at his funeral just because he'd been such an inspiration for a young pastor. Another hero of mine, Wally Holder. He was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Concord, New Hampshire, he was the pastor of the, the church that had the Christian school that I graduated from. And uh, in October of 2003, in September, he had me out on Squam Lake in New Hampshire, which is where On Golden Pond was filmed, if you're familiar with that movie. He had me. He taught me how to water ski in September of 2003. In 2000, and in the next month, he had a massive stroke and died. The last church he was in... He died on a Tuesday. It was Sunday night at our church. We we're meeting on Sunday night, and Wally was just he used his retirement to to encourage pastors, and he was such an encouragement to me. He's one of the heroes I look to and try to follow. A third for me is my dad Lafayette Pinkney. What a name! He was in the business world. Came out of World War II. Came to Christ soon after coming out of World War II. Uh, um, married a World War II widow, adopted the baby, baby the, the widow had, had another son. They were married for 13 years, and one weekend his first wife died. They'd just moved, just started to look for a church. Um, now dad, a widower with two young, a 13-year-old and 11-year-old. Found a church, the choir director, single woman, 31 years old. Invited him to join the choir, and I think he, she was inviting him to really marry her, which that's what happened. That would become my mom and uh, they were married. My dad was, uh, worked for Suburban Propane, and they'd been married only about a year or so, and they felt, both felt called to ministry. And so at the age of 40, my dad went off to college, decided to be a pastor. Um, now they had three kids. I was born while I was at college, and then when I was two years old, moved to New Hampshire. Secrets out, I was actually born in New York State. Um, anyway, ooh, yeah. Um, and faithfully pastored rural churches with joy. His churches were small, he was faithful. He was a he was a one man evangelist, not in a, a boastful or, or not in an obnoxious way, but like he was just like out on the golf course. The little town had a golf course, and the golf the people owned it let pastors play free. And uh, Dad loved to play golf. And uh, I think it's a, I don't like it. I think it's a waste of a cow field. But um, he he would he would partner up with people, and he would start telling the story. He said, "You know, the best thing that ever happened to me is when I got out of the war. I was empty on the inside." My brother came out of the work, had met Jesus through a chaplain from Maine in, on the battlefields in France. And dad believed the gospel. And, he said to, and, and so he'd tell this line, like, the best thing that's ever happened to me, the thing that emptied, filled the emptiness in me was Jesus forgiving me and becoming the meaning of my life and the source of hope. And, and uh, if it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, I think it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. He'd, he'd tell that, he'd share that line, and he would witness just, just, just naturally to all sorts of people. And dad lived right up, he was 90 years in two days. These men have become, for me, known heroes who have faithfully tracked with Jesus, janitors and pastors, businessmen who become pastors. By the way, most of you are not called to be pastors. Jesus wouldn't want you to be a pastor. He wants you to be where you are. You're called where you are. And why is this important? Because there's all sorts of imposters and deceivers out there. Paul wrote it here at the end in verse 13. While evil duels and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are all sorts of false messages out there saying that Christianity is about you. God wants you to be happy. You know, it's all about your success. Well, you know, Jesus has a greater plan for you than for you to be successful and happy. He wants you to be whole and joyful in him. He wants you to see the eternal plan he has for you. Do not fear, little flock, as the Father's intention to give you his kingdom. That's why you can be so generous, radically generous here, because he's going to give you his kingdom. Anyway, what kind of people cause the church to flourish when they are gone? People who follow known leaders or known heroes. And Paul's urging Timothy to follow him. And I just urge you to find heroes who have stuck it out, who have not been led astray by imposters or deceivers, who have been faithful to the word, who have a purpose in life, who have endured suffering, A second thought here is the kind of people that cause the church to flourish after they're gone are people who stay the course. People who stay the course. Just want to read verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know from whom you have learned it. Stay the course. You know, the early Christian church was called the Way. Jesus calls people on the Way. He calls them to the Narrow Way. It's it's difficult to stay the Way because there's all sorts of distractions. There are voices calling you off the Way. There are temptations. When you become a follower of Jesus, it gets super hard because now you're not just you're not just battling the fallen world around you, but now your internal compass is following Jesus, but your flesh is still wanting to get off the way. And then the world is calling you to to abandon the faith, to do stupid stuff, to invest in crazy things, to think the world is about you, to think your identity is wrapped up in you. No, it's wrapped up in Christ. And then on top of it, the one you cannot see, the enemy of your soul, Satan, hates you. He cannot take you to hell, but he can make your life here hell. But people who, who cause the church to flourish after they are gone are people who stay on the way, who who stay the course. I've got seven friends I pray for regularly. All brothers, well, brothers, all friends who have abandoned the faith. Kevin was a roommate of mine at Liberty University. He's now a devout atheist, lives downtown Chicago. I visit him as often as I can. I was there with him last summer. And uh, I keep praying for him, and we have discussions about faith and his lack thereof, but God keeps haunting him. Like He's into dog rescue stuff, and, and the first dog he rescued, he named Sheila because he couldn't keep the dog's real name because her name was Faith. <laughs> and I said, what? You're try, you still trying to drive Faith away, huh? Now he's recently married a, a woman from Latin America, and she's, she's a God-fearer. I don't know if she's born again, but she's a God-fearer. So she's married someone who actually believes in God. We don't give up on these who've wandered away. But we stay the course. The worship I was on staff for five years at a megachurch in York, Pennsylvania, a church about 1,200, and we had a young adult ministry. We had about 150 young adults who'd come out on Sunday night. We had our own service. And our worship leader, Brian, he's left the faith. He's a devout atheist. He's a, a NICU nurse down at uh, John Hopkins in Baltimore. And I was with him just last month and telling him I'm praying for him and, and uh, not giving up on him uh, because so many don't stay the course. I could keep telling you about stories of a young man at our church who was a church playing intern who's now left the faith, left his wife, and uh, was with with him probably I don't know nine months ago, smoking a cigar. Yeah, I do that too. Whatever it takes, you know, uh, just letting him know we love him. And ironically, there's a church plant, Acts 29 church plant, about five blocks from his house. These are all prodigals, I believe, but we must stay the course even as others fall off the course. Another friend of mine who's, we, uh, we keep interacting, Nate, he planted an Acts 29 church in Amherst, Massachusetts. About seven years ago, he abandoned the faith, abandoned his wife and five kids. I mean, he's a good dad, but he's abandoned all that. He's a smart guy and devout atheist, really good chef. We stay in his life. And I, I believe, I have, I have this obligation that I'm going to stay the course. I'm not going to give up on people. And I'm going to continue in the way that I learned, the way of Christ. There are many exits off this way, many temptations to quit. But I can tell you, I've been following Jesus since I was 14, so I'm 59. what is that? 45 years. I've traveled in my, my, my role with Acts 29, and prior to that, uh, just traveled I think we've been to 36 countries now. I've been to all 50 states. I, my wife and I said to my wife, said, "Where do you want to go next summer?" You know, where have you always dreamed of? She said, well, I've been to everywhere I've dreamed of. We, you know, we, we've lived a, a, a relatively um, blessed life. Our five adult children, children all follow Jesus. We're, we're like, and, and uh, with all of that earthly joy, I can tell you, tell you this. They don't match the joy I have every morning waking up knowing I'm loved by Jesus. And all that he has is mine. And he, he will never lose me. I give unto you eternal life, and you shall never perish, neither shall I may pluck you out. I am his. gives me every reason to stay the course. You see, those who live well die well, and they affect the future. And we don't have to do it like like we we are uh, people sort of weaned on pickle juice. I mean, we can actually be happy people. Why? Because all that we have in Christ is given to us. A verse that Jesus gave me at the beginning of the pandemic, which was hard on everybody. Pastors had especially difficult time because it brought, brought into the church all sorts of division and conflict. And uh, Colossians 1.11 became very real to me. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So it's not something I can self-generate. This isn't like self-helps. This is like only God helps being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience. And then the line goes with joy. We don't just need to endure and have patience with people and be ugly about it. We can do it with joy because of his divine power. So we preach to ourselves the gospel over and over and over again. If you're lost, you need to hear the best news. That God loves you, Christ died for you, and wants to make your life new, not just now, but for eternity. But if you're found, you need to know that in the midst of your struggles, Christ died for you. He loves you, he's with you, he will not lose you. Everything he has is yours. It's still the best news today for all of us. We must preach this to ourselves. Because life will get hard. In Acts 29, rural pastor up in North Adams Mass, Paul Gordon, on December 26th, their little Village church didn't have a service, so I went to church at his dad and mom's little village church over in, in upstate New York. And they get to church on December 26th, and there's an old man down front weeping, just weeping. And they all gather around him and find out that his wife passed away at 6 a.m. that morning. And as they comforted and prayed for him, they said, Why are you here? He said, Where else would I go? This is where I want to be, this is my comfort. See, people who cause the church to flourish after they are gone are people who stay the course. And and listen, we all need course corrections. Sometimes when I'm doubting and I'm not I'm a C student, I'm not that smart. You know, and when when some of my smart atheist friends throw me curveballs or I'm wrestling with my own internal doubts, the Bible says be patient with those who doubt. I I look to like Gavin Ortland, he has a, a YouTube channel called Truth Unites. He's a really smart dude, a PhD, and he his goal is to really he he just he just helps us think critically about why we believe. And I'll watch his 20 minute videos and it like helps me. You see, to stay the course takes work. By nature, like your car, our lives are out of alignment and always being pulled one side to the other. We must work to stay the course, and if you do that, you will be a person who causes the church to flourish after you are gone. And finally, people who cause the church to flourish after they're gone are people who work out the word, who work out the word. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Very familiar verses, and, 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 and this is a little marriage tip. Don't let familiarity cause boredom. OK, it's true with the word of God as well. When you're familiar with a verse, don't let it, you don't get bored with that verse. Think more about it, because this verse is quoted often to say this is why we believe the word of God is authoritative and inspired. But but that's not all it's saying. It's saying the reason we believe it is so we can work it out. It ends there by saying uh, that the man of God or servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is meant to cause us to live like God. That's what godliness is, is to be many gods to be like our Father in heaven. That if God were to go to your office or live on, in, your, in your neighborhood or be part of your family, your dysfunctional family, don't tell me it's not dysfunctional. We all come from dysfunctional families. That you, God has put you there to be godlike. How do you do that? It's, it's because you work out the word. It starts with the gospel. That's how Paul says here, that you from infancy have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. This is where it begins. This is our foundation. It gives us wisdom towards why we believe in Jesus. This is, it's, 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 it's why we live a different way. It's why we live with belief and hope and we adjust our lives to the word of God. We work it out because God is our source. His word is our source. And as we work it out, as we live it out, we become it it shapes how we live. And and here Paul lists it out, he says the word of God is profitable for doc- uh, doctrine or teaching, reproof for uh, correction, for training. I can remember the sermon, Jay Adams, he was a Presbyterian um, professor at Westminster Seminary at one point, and uh, a a biblical counselor, wrote a number of books. And I can remember a sermon he preached 40 years ago on this. It's just been so transformative. This is what the Word of God does. It sets the standard. So it says, Dave, love your wife as Christ loves the church. That's training. The Word of God is good for training. It rebukes it says, Dave, you're being selfish and impatient with Sharon. It rebukes me. It, corrects, it, it rebukes me, but it doesn't leave me down. Then it corrects me. It says, okay, Dave, to love Sharon, this is what you need to do. You need to be giving and generous and know her love language and spend time with her. Sharon's one of her love languages is quality time. So when I get home tonight, tomorrow morning, we get up and we're spending the day on the coast of Maine because I've been away so much. And we're just going to, I'm going to dote on her and listen to her and really work on listening to her <laughs> you know. Guys are so distracting. Look, there's a squirrel. You know, it's like. <laughs> but the word of God not just sets the standard, love your wife and doesn't just rebuke me but, and correct me, but then it trains me. It says, okay, this is how you can improve at being a husband. And after 34 years, I think I'm getting better, you know, because the word of God keeps training us. This is how practical the word of God is. And people who cause the church to flourish after they are gone are people who work out the word, who put it into practice, Work it out because it is what you were made for. You were made to be alive in Christ. You were made to walk this course. You were made to follow the people who have walked before you in the scriptures. And so people who cause the church to flourish after they are gone are people who not only follow known heroes and stay the course, but they work out the word. I want to end with a verse that Paul ends with in 2 Timothy, towards the end, 2 Timothy 4.4. 4, I think we have up on the screen. Jesus will someday appear. Jesus will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Now, we often think of that and go, oh, we get all scared. No, 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 no. Think of, think of this and what it means for you. Because Jesus. if Jesus took all our judgment on the cross, what this means is, Jesus tells this story. If you even give a glass of cold water to a child, it will be remembered in the judgment. Because most of what you do for Jesus, most of the serving, the generosity, the kindness, the patience, the holding back from beeping on the horn of, from, from the, in, the crazy person driving ahead of you. We do that in New England. I don't know if you do that in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, when you, when all those things, the Lord will remember and reward. This is why this is important. So, New Heights Church. Well done. Ten years. That is to be celebrated. It is amazing that you're you're, uh, unified and of divisive era. You're vibrant and alive and you have gospel witness. You're generous to the point of sacrifice. You are On the right way. Well done. Will and Amanda, well done. Pastors, well done. Keep it up. This is a great start. But what kind of people live such a good life, they die well, by causing the church to flourish after they are gone? This is what the challenge is. What kind of people are you going to be? On Monday, August 8th, just two weeks ago, tomorrow, I think, um, attended the funeral of my good friend Nick Clark, 41 years old. Nick, several weeks before, uh, he's, he's an elder in the church. He's the, the best biblical, only biblical counselor in central New Hampshire, graduate of Westminster Seminary, father of four, just a faithful, godly guy, very active in our pastor's fellowship. Um, Several, several weeks, about a month before, he'd been diagnosed with a very faulty heart valve. And on August 9th, the day after his funeral, he was scheduled to get a new heart valve. Uh, it was a very risky surgery. And he had got all his, um, sort of his life in order if he wasn't going to make the surgery. But the Wednesday before that surgery, he had his family down at the beach at a lake and um, enjoying time with the family. And there was a drowning incident. And Will is, um, he's, he's all in. And he goes out and helps rescue the person, bring them in. They get taken care of. And Will drops dead on the beach at 41 years old. But Will has caused the church to flourish because of the way he has lived. Biggest funeral I've ever been to. And I'm guessing that because of his death, there'll be more people devoted to Jesus. Let me urge you, live in such a way that when you're gone, you have caused the church to flourish. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.